Section eight of Anecdotes of Dogs. The translation of them. Tippo in villa. Tippo ego hic yaceo lapidem ne sperne viator, qui tali impositus stat super osa cani. Larga minatura manu dedit omnia nostrum. Que cumque exornant nobilitantque genus. Robur erat validum formae cochina venustas. Ingenu mores intemerata fides. Nec pudet in visi nomen jessice tyranni. Si tam dissimili viximus ingenio. Naufragus in nuda tenbeie eiectus arena. Ploravi domino me superesse meo. Quem mihi luctanti frustra, frustraque juvanti. Abreptum oceani in gurgite mersit hyams. Solus ego sospes sed quas miser ille tabelas morte mihi in media creditit ore ferens dulci me hospitio berge exce pare coloni ipsa etiam his olim gens aliena plagis Et mihi gratum erat in longa spatiaria ora, et quanquam in fido membra lavare mari. Gratum erat estivis puerorum adjungere turmis. Participem lusus me comitemque viae, verum ubi. De multis captanti frustula mensis, bruma aderat, senique hora timenda mei, insperata adeo iluxit fortuna, novique perfugium, et requiem cura dedit domini. Exinde hosaltus, heic interflorea rura, et vixi felix et tumulum hunc habeo footnote tenbeia portas est cambriae meridionalis ubi belgarum colonis arege ut fertur henrico primo locata est horum posteri acercum iacente celtice originis populo lingua etiam Nunc omnino discrepant. End footnote. Footnote. Infinitivo quem vocant, hoc in ier desinente solus credo, inter melioris note, quos habemus, elegorum scriptores usus est catulas, sed qualis ille poeta, sed quantus in omni genere latini 
Carminis et Artifex Elegantiae et Magister. End footnote. Tipo, translated by a young lady, a near relation of the author. Here, stranger, pause, nor view with scornful eyes the stone which marks where faithful Tipo lies. Freely, kind nature gave each liberal grace, which most ennobles and exalts our race. Excelling strength and beauty joined in me, ingenuous worth and firm fidelity. Nor shame I to have borne a tyrant's name, so far unlike to his my spotless fame. Cast by a fatal storm on Tenby's coast, reckless of life, I wailed my master lost, whom long contending with the o'erwhelming wave, in vain with fruitless love I strove to save. I, only I, alas, surviving bore, his dying trust, his tablets to the shore. Kind welcome from the Belgian race I found, who, once in times remote to British ground, strangers like me came from a foreign strand. I loved at large along the extended sand to roam, and oft beneath the swelling wave, though known so fatal once, my limbs to lave, or join the children in their summer play, first in their sports, companion of their way. Thus, while from many a hand a meal I sought, winter and age had certain misery brought, but fortune smiled, a safe and blessed abode a new-found master's generous love bestowed. And midst these shades, where smiling flowerets bloom, gave me a happy life and honoured tomb. Footnote. His master's pocket-book, with which Tippo, the only living creature saved from the wreck, came ashore. End footnote. Dr. Abel, in one of his lectures on phrenology, related a very striking anecdote of a Newfoundland dog at Cork. This dog was of a noble and generous disposition, and when he left his master's house was often assailed by a number of little noisy dogs in the street. He usually passed them with apparent unconcern, as if they were beneath his notice. One little cur, however, was particularly troublesome, and at length carried his petulance so far as to bite the Newfoundland dog in the back of his foot. This was too much to be patiently endured. He instantly turned round, ran after the offender, and seized him by the skin of his back. In this way he carried him in his mouth to the quay, and holding him some time over the water, at length dropped him into it. He did not seem, however, to wish to punish the culprit too much, for he waited a little while. The poor animal, who was unused to that element, was not only well ducked but near sinking when he plunged in himself and brought the other safe to land. An officer, late in the 15th Hussars, informed me that he had witnessed a similar occurrence at St. Petersburg. These certainly are instances of a noble and generous disposition, as well as of great forbearance in not resenting an injury. I may add the following instance of sagacity from the same quarter. A vessel was driven by a storm on the beach of Lyd in Kent. The surf was rolling furiously. Eight men were calling for help, 
but not a boat could be got off to their assistance at length a gentleman came on the beach accompanied by his newfoundland dog he directed the attention of the noble animal to the vessel and put a short stick into his mouth the intelligent and courageous dog at once understood his meaning and sprung into the sea fighting his way through the foaming waves he could not however get close enough to the vessel to deliver that with which he was charged but the crew joyfully made fast a rope to another piece of wood and threw it towards him the sagacious dog saw the whole business in an instant he dropped his own piece and immediately seized that which had been cast to him, and then with a degree of strength and determination almost incredible, he dragged it through the surge and delivered it to his master. By this means a line of communication was formed, and every man on board saved. The keeper of a ferry on the banks of the Severn had a sagacious Newfoundland dog. If a dog was left behind by his owner in crossing, and was afraid of taking to the water. The Newfoundland dog has been frequently known to take the yelping animal in his mouth and convey it into the river. A person while rowing a boat pushed his Newfoundland dog into the stream. The animal followed the boat for some time, till probably finding himself fatigued, he endeavored to get into it by placing his feet on the side. His owner repeatedly pushed the dog away, and in one of his efforts to do so, he overbalanced himself and fell into the river, and would probably have been drowned had not the noble and generous animal immediately seized and held him above water till assistance arrived from the shore. About twelve years ago, a fine dog of a cross-breed between a Newfoundland and a pointer had been left by the captain of a vessel in the care of Mr. Park of the White Hart Inn, Greenock. A friend of his, a gentleman from Argyllshire, took a fancy to this dog, and when returning home requested the loan of him for some time from Mr. Park, which he granted. This gentleman had some time before married a lady much to the dissatisfaction of his friends, who in consequence treated her with some degree of coldness and neglect. While he remained at home, the dog constantly attended him and paid no apparent attention to the lady, who on her part never evinced any particular partiality for the dog. One time, however, the gentleman was called from home on business, and was to be absent several days. He wished to take the dog with him, but no entreaties could induce him to follow. The animal was then tied up to prevent his leaving the house in his absence, but he became quite furious till he was released, when he flew into the house and found his mistress, and would not leave her. He watched at the door of whatever room she was in, and would allow no one to approach without her special permission. When the gentleman returned home, the dog seemed to take no more notice of the lady, but returned quietly to his former lodging in the stable. The whole circumstance caused considerable surprise, and the gentleman, wishing to try if the dog would again act in the same manner, left home for a day or two, when the animal actually resumed the faithful guardianship of his mistress as before. And this he continued to do whenever his master was absent, all the time he remained in his possession, which was two years. 
the following anecdotes of an astonishing dog called Dandy are related by Captain Brown. Mr. Muntire, patent mangle manufacturer, Regent Bridge, Edinburgh, has a dog of the Newfoundland breed, crossed with some other, named Dandy, whose sagacious qualifications are truly astonishing and almost incredible. As the animal continues daily to give the most striking proofs of his powers, he is well known in the neighborhood, and any person may satisfy himself of the reality of those feats, many of which the writer has himself had the pleasure to witness. When Mr. Mantire is in company, how numerous soever it may be, if he but say to the dog, Dandy, bring me my hat, he immediately picks out the hat from all the others and puts it in his master's hand. Should every gentleman in company throw a penknife on the floor, the dog, when commanded, will select his master's knife from the heap and bring it to him. A pack of cards being scattered in the room, if his master have previously selected one of them, the dog will find it out and bring it to him. A comb was hid on the top of a mantelpiece in the room, and the dog required to bring it, which he almost immediately did, although in the search he found a number of articles also belonging to his master, purposely strewed around, all which he passed over and brought the identical comb which he was required to find, fully proving that he is not guided by the sense of smell, but that he perfectly understands whatever is spoken to him. One evening, some gentlemen being in company, one of them accidentally dropped a shilling on the floor, which, after the most careful search, could not be found. Mr. Mantire, seeing his dog sitting in a corner, and looking as if quite unconscious of what was passing, said to him, "'Dandy, find us the shilling, and you shall have a biscuit.' The dog immediately jumped upon the table and laid down the shilling, which he had previously picked up without having been perceived. One time, having been left in a room in the house of Mrs. Thomas, High Street, he remained quiet for a considerable time, but as no one opened the door, he became impatient and rang the bell. And when the servant opened the door, she was surprised to find the dog pulling the bell rope. Since that period, which was the first time he was observed to do it, he pulls the bell whenever he is desired, and what appears still more remarkable, if there is no bell-rope in the room, he will examine the table, and if he finds a hand-bell, he takes it in his mouth and rings it. Mr. Mantire, having one evening supped with a friend on his return home, as it was rather late, he found all the family in bed. He could not find his boot-jack in the place where it usually lay, nor could he find it anywhere in the room after the strictest search. He then said to his dog, Dandy, I cannot find my boot-jack. Search for it. The faithful animal, quite sensible of what had been said to him, scratched at the room-door which his master opened. Dandy proceeded to a very distant part of the house, and soon returned, carrying in his mouth the boot-jack which Mr. M. now recollected to have left that morning under a sofa. A number of gentlemen well acquainted with Dandy are daily in the habit of giving him a penny, which he takes to a baker's shop and purchases bread for himself. 
one of these gentlemen who lives in james's square when passing some time ago was accosted by dandy in expectation of his usual present mr t then said to him i have not a penny with me to-day but i have one at home having returned to his house some time after he heard a noise at the door which was opened by the servant when in sprang dandy to receive his penny in a frolic mr t gave him a bad one which he as usual carried to the baker but was refused his bread as the money was bad he immediately returned to mr t's knocked at the door and when the servant opened it laid the penny down at her feet and walked off seemingly with the greatest contempt although dandy in general makes an immediate purchase of bread with the money which he receives yet the following circumstance clearly demonstrates that he possesses more prudent foresight than many who are reckoned rational beings one sunday when it was very unlikely that he could have received a present of money dandy was observed to bring home a loaf mr mantire being somewhat surprised at this desired the servant to search the room to see if any money could be found while she was engaged in this task the dog seemed quite unconcerned till she approached the bed when he ran to her and gently drew her back from it mr m then secured the dog which kept struggling and growling while the servant went under the bed where she found seven and a half d under a bit of cloth but from that time he never could endure the girl and was frequently observed to hide his money in a corner of a saw pit under the dust when mr m has company if he desire the dog to see any one of the gentlemen home it will walk with him till he reach his home and then return to his master how great soever the distance may be a brother of mr m's and another gentleman went one day to new haven and took dandy along with them after having bathed they entered a garden in the town and having taken some refreshment in one of the arbors they took a walk around the garden the gentleman leaving his hat and gloves in the place in the meantime some strangers came into the garden and went into the arbor which the others had left dandy immediately without being ordered ran to the place and brought off the hat and gloves which he presented to the owner one of the gloves however had been left but it was no sooner mentioned to the dog than he rushed to the place jumped again into the midst of the astonished company and brought off the glove in triumph a gentleman living with mr mantire going out to supper one evening locked the garden gate behind him and laid the key on the top of the wall which is about seven feet high when he returned expecting to let himself in the same way to his great surprise the key could not be found and he was obliged to go round to the front door which was a considerable distance about the next morning strict search was made for the key but still no trace of it could be discovered at last perceiving that the dog followed him wherever he went he said to him dandy you have the key go fetch it dandy immediately went into the garden and scratched away the earth from the root of a cabbage and produced the key which he himself had undoubtedly hid in that place if his master place him on a chair and request him to sing he will instantly commence a howling 
which he gives high or low as signs are made to him with the finger. About three years ago, a mangle was sent by a cart from the warehouse Regent Bridge to Portobello, at which time the dog was not present. Afterwards, Mr. M. went to his own house, north back of the cannon gate, and took Dandy with him to have the mangle delivered. When he had proceeded a little way, the dog ran off, and he lost sight of him. He still walked forward, and in a little time he found the cart in which the mangle was, turned towards Edinburgh, with Dandy holding fast by the reins, and the carter in the greatest perplexity. The man stated that the dog had overtaken him, jumped on his cart, and examined the mangle, and then had seized the reins of the horse and turned him fairly round, and that he would not let go his hold, although he had beaten him with the stick. On Mr. M.'s arrival, however, the dog quietly allowed the carter to proceed to his place of destination. The following is another instance of extraordinary sagacity. A Newfoundland dog belonging to a grocer had observed one of the porters of the house, and who was often in the shop, frequently take money from the till, and which the man was in the habit of concealing in the stable. The dog, having witnessed these thefts, became restless, pulling persons by the skirts of their coats, and apparently wishing them to follow him. At length an apprentice had occasion to go to the stable. The dog followed him, and having drawn his attention to the heap of rubbish under which the money was buried, began to scratch till he had brought the booty to view. The apprentice brought it to his master, who marked the money and restored it to the place where it had been hidden. Some of the marked money was soon afterwards found on the porter, who was taken before a magistrate and convicted of the theft. A Newfoundland dog, which was frequently to be seen in a tavern in the high street of Glasgow, lay generally at the door. When any person came to the house, he trotted before them into an apartment, rang the bell, and then resumed his station at the door. The great utility and sagacity of the Newfoundland dog in cases of drowning were shown in the following instance. Eleven sailors, a woman, and the waterman had reached a sloop of war in Hamoaz in a shore-boat. One of the sailors, stooping rather suddenly over the side of the boat to reach his hat, which had fallen into the sea, the boat capsized and they were all plunged into the water. A Newfoundland dog on the quarter-deck of the sloop, seeing the accident, instantly leaped amongst the unfortunate persons, and seizing one man by the collar of his coat, he supported his head above water until a boat had hastened to the spot and saved the lives of all but the watermen. After delivering his burden in safety, the noble animal made a wide circuit round the ship in search of another person, but not finding one, he took up an oar in his mouth which was floating away and brought it to the side of the ship. A sailor, attended by a Newfoundland dog, became so intoxicated that he fell on the pavement in Piccadilly and was unable to rise, and soon fell asleep. The faithful dog took position at his master's head, and resisted every attempt made to remove him. The man, having at last slept off the fumes of his intoxicating libations, awoke, and being told of the care his dog had taken of him, 
exclaimed, "'This is not the first time he has kept watch over me.' On Thursday evening, January 28, 1858, as the play of Jesse Vere was being performed at Woolwich Theatre, and when a scene in the third act had been reached, in which a terrific struggle for the possession of a child takes place between the fond mother and two hired ruffians, a large Newfoundland dog, which had by some means gained admittance with its owner into the pit, leaped over the heads of the musicians in the orchestra and flew to the rescue, seizing one of the assassins and almost dragging him to the ground. It was with difficulty removed and dragged off the stage. The dog, which is the property of the chief engineer of Her Majesty's ship Buffalo, has been habitually accustomed to the society of children for whom he has on many occasions evinced strong proofs of affection. Mr. Bewick, in his History of Quadrupeds, mentions some instances of the sagacity and intellect of Newfoundland dogs, and it may not be uninteresting to the admirers of that celebrated wood engraver to be informed, on the authority of his daughters, that the group on the bridge in his print of the Newfoundland dog represents Mr. Preston, a printer of Newcastle, Mr. Vint of Whittingham, Mr. Bell, House Stewart, and Mr. Bewick. Their initials, P, V, B, and B, are introduced in the woodcut. The dog was drawn at Eslington, the seat of Mr. Liddell, the eldest son of Lord Ravensworth. Footnote. See Bewick's Quadrupeds, page 306. First edition. End footnote. In Newfoundland, this dog is invaluable and answers the purpose of a horse. He is docile, capable of strong attachment, and is easy to please in the quality of his food, as he will live on scraps of boiled fish, either salted or fresh, and on boiled potatoes and cabbage. The natural color of this dog is black, with the exception of a very few white spots. Their sagacity is sometimes so extraordinary as on many occasions to show that they only want the faculty of speech to make themselves fully understood. The Reverend L. Anspach, in his History of the Island of Newfoundland, mentions some instances of this intelligence. One of the magistrates of Harbour Grace, the late Mr. Garland, had an old dog, which was in the habit of carrying a lantern before his master at night as steadily as the most attentive servant could do. Stopping short when his master made a stop, and proceeding when he saw him disposed to follow him. If his master was absent from home, on the lantern being fixed to his mouth, and the command given, Go fetch your master! He would immediately set off and proceed directly to the town, which lay at the distance of more than a mile from the place of his master's residence. He would then stop at the door of every house which he knew his master was in the habit of frequenting, and laying down his lantern would growl and strike the door, making all the noise in his power until it was opened. If his master was not there, he would proceed further until he had found him. If he accompanied him only once into a house, it was sufficient to induce him to take that house in his round. The principal use of this animal in Newfoundland, in addition to his qualities as a good watchdog and a faithful companion, 
is to assist in fetching from the woods the lumber intended either for repairing the fish stages or for fuel and this is done by dragging it on the snow or ice or else on sledges the dog being tackled to it these animals bark only when strongly provoked they are not quarrelsome but treat the smaller species with a great degree of patience and forbearance they will defend their masters on seeing the least appearance of an attack on his person the well-known partiality of these dogs for the water in which they appear as if in their proper element diving and keeping their heads under the surface for a considerable time seems to give them some connection with the class of amphibious animals at the same time the several instances of their superior sagacity and the essential services which they have been frequently known to render to humanity give them a distinguished rank in the scale of the brute creation i will mention another instance of this the durham packet of sunderland was in eighteen fifteen wrecked near clay in norfolk a faithful dog was employed to use his efforts to carry the lead line on shore from the vessel but there being a very heavy sea and a deep beach it appeared that the drawback of the surf was too powerful for the animal to contend with mr parker shipbuilder of wells and mr jackson junior of clay who were on the spot observing this instantly rushed into the sea which was running very high and gallantly succeeded though at a great risk in catching hold of the dog which was much exhausted but which had all this time kept the line in his mouth the line being thus obtained a communication with the vessel was established and a warp being passed from the ship to the shore the lives of all on board nine in number including two children were saved end of section eight recording by m j frank portland oregon